All right, so uh, again, my name is Willis Weatherford. If it's your first night, glad you're here. I just want to say um, I'm glad you're here no matter who you are, whether your friend drug you here or you came for the unlimited free Oreos and oranges or you came because you wanted to hear about Jesus or because you have questions um, or maybe you're regretting coming here, you know, because the songs were weird. Um, Man, I love the songs. Not a diss. I love the songs. Just saying. If you're new, they're weird. Um, but I'm glad you're here. And you belong here because this place, this gathering, is not about any of us being cool or any of us being friends with each other, actually. It's about Jesus. He's the one that calls us to follow him, and he is what this is about. And the beautiful thing is, he calls everyone and says that we all belong. And so I just want to thank you for showing up on a Tuesday night. Um, yeah, so again, my name is Willis. I'm a pretty basic person. I enjoy yard work and uh, grilling. I like rugby and watching football and soccer and, uh, and eating as much food as I possibly can. That's why I run. Um, so uh, the main thing I want you to hear about me, though, is that I'm not a good person. I'm not a good person, but Jesus loves me, and he loves you, and... I love preaching that message. And that's what this message tonight is about, about the love of Jesus. So, again, the series that we're going through, what we're talking about this whole fall, which you'll hear if you keep coming, is the idea of two competing kingdoms. And this concept that Jesus came to institute the kingdom of God, which is talked about all throughout the Gospel of Luke, um, which is this book in the Bible that we're going through together this fall. And that kingdom comes over and against something called the secular kingdom, which is just my term for like the world we live in, which is often brackets out God as irrelevant, maybe that he doesn't even exist. And so we live our lives apart from God, apart from Jesus. And so there's these two different ways of life, these two different kingdoms, so to speak, and we're looking at those. And today, as we kind of start this series uh, for real, we're looking at the kings of the kingdom. If you've got two kingdoms, got to have two kings. Who's the king of the secular kingdom? I'm going to figure that out. Obviously, the king of the kingdom of God is Jesus. So we're going to look at that tonight. But before I do, i um, just got a question for you. If you were to kind of step back and look at your life, if you're going to take like a nice retreat day at the beach and just like think about your life, you looked at it and the way you spend your time and what you think about, what you're worried about, who would you say is your king? Or what would you say is your king? I'm guessing most of us don't actually like pledge allegiance to an actual human king of any sort. But what is like the thing in your life that you devote yourself to? So think about that question. In Luke 2, we're going to see three things. Jesus is a noble king. Jesus is a humble king. And Jesus is your king. He's noble, he's humble, and he's your king. So let's pray. Father God, I just ask, Lord, that um, this would not just be me talking up here and um, everybody else trying to listen and not fall asleep, <laughs> but that, Jesus, you would do something miraculous, that you would work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit and change us, that you would wake up our hearts, that you would take our hearts of dead, still, cold stone, and that you would make them alive in a totally new way that we've never experienced before, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, first point. Luke 2, if you want to turn there, or just look at your 
program. Thanks for printing these, Anna. Appreciate that. It's on the front. Luke 2, verses 4 through 14. Um, Jesus is a knowable king. He's knowable. You can know him. So let's go back to that question I asked earlier. Um, Who's your king? Whose opinion do you care the most about? Is it your professor's? Your friend's opinion? Is it the people that you wish were your friends? Is it a certain sorority or fraternity? Those of you who are about to rush. Is it your mom and your dad, maybe? Um, Even like an older sibling who you've always looked up to? (coughs) Whose opinion do you care the most about? In the gap left behind, when we exclude God's opinion from our lives, and when we forget about that, we take our eyes off that, in that gap, other opinions become king. Whose moral value system do you subscribe to? Okay? Like, whose moral values and system of ethics have you claimed as your own? Is it a political group? Is it a certain social movement? Is it a certain religious leader? Maybe like just a really good person who you look up to and you're like, man, I just want to be like them and live my life the way they do. Or maybe it's just yourself. You know, you've said, you know what, I'm just going to do what I think. I'm going to live in the moment, do what I think is best, take each day one day at a time, and just kind of like do what seems right. That, that means you've made yourself your moral authority. In the gap left behind when we exclude God's moral system from our lives, other moral systems become king for us. Our hearts are always grasping for an authority, for a savior, for a king. So, quick story. Um, I am from Kentucky, as I've told you guys before. Um, there's this beautiful place in the Red River Gorge. Has anybody been to the Red River Gorge? Anybody out there? Please say, yes. Tom, I'm so proud of you, man. Ah, this is my heart so good. It's a great place, right? Did you go to Jump Rock? Which is, okay, okay, yeah. So Jump Rock is this really beautiful cliff jumping rock. And it's great because it's on the river, really deep swimming hole right beneath it, so you're not going to hit the bottom. And it's cool because, um, like, the bottom side of it is, like, lower than the top side. So you can, like, choose your own challenge from maybe from, like, 20 feet to 35 feet. Really fun to go cliff jumping there. Um, one day I go with these guys. I didn't really know that well. And, um, you know, we're all jumping in. And uh, this guy is, like, this one guy seems kind of scared. His name's Daniel. So, Daniel, if you're listening on the podcast, I'm sorry, but I'm telling your story. Um, Daniel is looking scared up at the top of the rock. I'm like, hey, man, you good? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just you know, feeling a little, a little nervous. I'm like, okay, fine. He's scared of heights, whatever. I jump in, and then as I come up, I, um, I look back, and he jumps in, and I'm going to kind of watch, like, see if he, like, has fun or whatever, and he comes up, and his eyes are, like, so big. He's terrified, and he starts, like, not swimming, like doing the like I'm drowning swim. And so like I swim over there to like help him out. Daniel's a big dude. He's like a bigger dude than I am. And as soon as he's within arm's reach of me, he just like choke holds me around the neck. And I go under and I like fight back to the surface, but I'm like, I'm gonna die here because I tried to save this guy. <laughs> and so like I start like swimming to the I'm like punching at him, trying to get him to, like let go of me. I'm like, dude, get off. Cause I like I would have saved him if I could just like get him in the normal life. I wasn't a lifeguard at that point, so I didn't know how to get him. Got him back to the bank eventually. I was like, dude, you can't swim and you went cliff jumping? He was like, yeah, I'm an idiot. I was like, you are an idiot. It's like, come on, man. But I just never had that experience of someone grabbing onto me like, and like, just, I, it was, 
it wasn't good for him or for me. It wasn't going to save his life. He almost took me down with him. And that's the way all of us are in our lives. When we float away from the God who made us, the God who offers himself to us and provides everything we need for our identity, purpose, belonging, we just become these drowning people grasping at anything in our lives to give us those things, to give us purpose, to give us identity, to give us a moral system that we can live our lives by. And we'll grab onto anything. So we live in a world, a secular kingdom, that has rejected the idea that God could be king. But there's a problem with that. So Julian Barnes, atheist novelist. Anybody here read a book by Julian Barnes? I never had. I'm going to be really impressed if you have. Okay, so. We've not read, not read any of his books. But he's this atheist novelist, British guy, very well spoken, very well read. Doesn't believe in God. He said, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. I don't believe in God, but I miss him. Our hearts miss the king that we've rejected. It's just another way of saying the same thing about grasping for an authority. Our hearts crave an authority. Even if we don't believe in him, we miss God. And so we're looking for something to provide these, you know, essentially the role of a king for us. So we'll cling to grades, athletics, awards, fraternities and sororities, our relationship to give us significance we depend on them instead of King Jesus. Luke 2 says the king has come to people who have rejected him in favor of other things. He came to people like us. He came to reintroduce us to himself, to show us himself as a king, to convince us that he's better, that living in his kingdom is better. And the beautiful thing about King Jesus is that we can know him. He's knowable. That's the crazy, frustrating thing about all these other things that we cling to and look to. They're so fickle. They're so changeable. You've all experienced this. If your king, so to speak, is beauty, the styles change. You know, the preferred body type changes. If your king is the, the opinion of other people, you're just one person lying about you away from that just being gone. And you don't have any control over that. If your king is getting into the right sorority or fraternity... You might not, you know, or you might, and then find that actually it's not satisfying. If your king is pleasure and happiness, you have to keep going back to the party, back to the keg, back to the pornography, whatever it is, over and over and over to get that fix. And guess what? The return is less each time. You've got to have more and more of it each time. The goalposts keep moving, but this king, King Jesus, is knowable. Verse 8 in chapter 2, okay? And in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. I just realized we didn't like read the whole passage ahead of time, so like let me set the context a little bit. This is just announcing the birth of Jesus. Okay, so this passage is telling us how the origin story of how Jesus came into the world, which is kind of cool because you know, like with any superhero, the origin story kind of like it like hints at what's to come, and this does too. So, verse eight. So after Jesus comes, he's born in a manger. Uh, which means a feeding trough in a barn. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths 
and lying in a manger. So what I want you to see here, when the angels come and they, they go to the shepherds, who are low-class people in that day, so they go first to the low-class people, which is kind of cool, the angels, they don't just say, heads up, king's here, so now you know, bye. They say, go get him, go find him. He's over here, go, go get to know him, go see him. Because the king is knowable, he's accessible. This is not normal behavior for like baby kings that are born. <laughs> you and I don't get to like go into the, the, I don't know, whatever room kings are born in. You know, we're not invited to that place. This king invites you in to know him from day zero. So the application here, like what do we do with this reality that King Jesus is knowable? Quit wasting your time trying to figure out how to please people, how to be popular, how to be beautiful enough how to be successful enough that your parents are proud of you, or measuring up to some older sibling, whatever it is. Quit wasting your time trying to like measure up to a certain religion's like moral standard and just be good enough. These things are moving targets. You're never going to know if you hit that target. And if by some chance you hit the target that you think you were shooting for, you will find that it doesn't give you what it promises. Jesus is knowable. He's revealed himself to you as your king. So get to know him. Spend your time that way. The rewards are better. So Jesus is a knowable king. So what, what can we know about him? If he's knowable, what do we learn about him? What can we know about him even from this passage? So one thing that we hear about him in Luke 2 is that he's humble. He's a humble king. When I say humble, I don't so much mean like his attitude, like, oh, he's a super humble guy. Um, I mean that even though he's the king of glory, the king of heaven and earth, he's actually the king for the lowest of people. We see that in this passage. Okay, so he is the king of glory. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Okay, so... No like king in the history of the world has ever had a more extravagant birth announcement than like thousands of angels in heaven proclaiming his birth, okay? Um, and yet, despite this glory, despite the fact that he's the king of everything, look at the way he's born. And she, Mary, she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, which is just, you know, what they put babies in those days. And laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. There's no palace, no hospital room, no hotel room even. He was born in a barn. You know what barns smell like, right? They smell like cow manure, horse manure. There's chickens around. I'm not exactly up on like exactly what animals were in like ancient Israel, but they were there with Jesus as he's being born. This world had no room set aside for this king. Our hearts have no room set aside for this king. Yet he was content with our inhospitable world. He is content with our inhospitable hearts. You have to believe, guys, like reading this passage, you have to believe there's no, no depth of ugliness, no fearful memory that you have, no ugly stain of shame or guilt that's so powerful that the humble King Jesus is ashamed to go there. He's not ashamed. He's willing to go there. He was born in a feeding trough to prove to you that he's humble enough to go anywhere to save his people. 
It's kind of like that quote from Batman. Okay, so I'm going to like twist this quote and use it a different way. So bear with me. Bane and Batman are fighting. Uh, they're in this dark place. And Bane says, I, mean, I, I would do his voice. I can't do his voice. So like, Bane says, oh, you think darkness is your ally. But you merely adopted the dark. I was born in the dark, molded by it. Jesus chose to be born in the dark, in the lowest place. But guess what? The darkness did not overcome him. We think Jesus is like dis- disappointed by our sin or our mess-ups. We think maybe we're not quite good enough for him. We think maybe he's like disappointed, like, oh man, I wish Willis would just get it together and quit making the same mistake over and over again. But he's not surprised. He's already been in the lowest place. He, he was born into the dark. He, came, he comes to the darkness of our hearts to bring the light there because he is light. He has light. He's got a solution for our darkness. So, why? Why, why did he do that? You know, does, he, does he want to just show, shine the light on you so that you can see how dark your hearts are, so that you'll feel bad? No, he came to set you free so that the light could actually emanate from within your own heart. He's not disgusted by your darkness. He's not afraid of your fears. He's already familiar with all the things that you've done and the things that have been done to you. He knows those, and he loves you in the midst of that. So tonight, every single one of you, I want you to begin praying that God would reveal those places to you, the places in your heart that maybe have never seen the light of day, never seen the light of someone else knowing about it, never seen the light of the gospel, that you've never even talked to God about. I want you to pray for God to give you the grace to just open those up to Him, to invite Him to experience His grace in those places. I'd be honored, truly honored, to hear those parts of your story, right? If, if, if we get to the level in our relationship where you feel comfortable doing that, I would be honored. And I guarantee, whatever thing you would share, like, not going to surprise me. I've heard it all, right? Because humans are all the same. Like, we're all broken, we're all messy, I am too, and Jesus' grace is enough to meet you in that place. So, I want to conclude with this last point, Okay? Jesus didn't just come to be a noble king, to be a humble king somewhere off in the the past or in the distance or far off from you. He came to be your king. He wants to be your king. And the thing is, whether you believe him, trust him, like him, he's your king anyway. (laughs) That's his claim, is that he's the king of heaven and earth anyway, of people who believe in him and those who don't. He's the eternal God who has always been and always will be. These are just some things Jesus says about himself in God's word. He created the world with the word of his power, and he upholds it with his unstoppable will. He defeated the grave and rose up out of a tomb on a rocky Palestinian hillside about 2,000 years ago. He reigns supreme over every inch of the universe. He knows every thought, word, and deed that we've all done, past, present, future, He's the king, which makes him your king, whether you like it or not. So, really the only thing to do here is to submit yourself to this good, knowable, humble king. Because apart from him, without him, this reality that he exists means nothing but terror for us. Right? Like... To come up against this God who's perfect and all-powerful and be a rebel against him, all of us have done enough to make us guilty in his sight forever. So don't stay away from him. He invites all of you to come to him. 
He came to make peace with us. And that's what he did on the cross. That's why the angels proclaimed glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those with whom he is pleased. Who are those with whom God is pleased? Is that people who are like good enough? No, it's not the people who don't drink. It's not the people who go to church on Sunday. It's not the people who volunteer the most. It's the people who trust in Jesus alone. Not their good works or anything else to be right with God. So if you're not treating Jesus like your king, I want you to begin tonight. I invite you to begin tonight. Submit your life to him tonight. Just offer it up to him in prayer. He wants your life. He wants all of it. Like He wants every nook, cranny, your future. He wants all of it. I want you to believe that this noble, humble king that he died on the cross to take full punishment for all of your sins so that you could be his child forever. I want you to believe that he rose from the dead to conquer sin and death and to give you new freedom and life in him today and for the rest of your life in his kingdom. So if you're a first year, if you're a first year here, maybe that looks like deciding you're not going to waste your college years just working hard and playing hard. That maybe like that's not enough. If that's all this is, you're your own king. Okay, so if that's you and you're like, no, actually, I kind of just want to work hard and play hard and that's going to be good for me. I'm telling you what that means is you're setting yourself up as your own king. Are you worthy? I think Jesus is worthy. Maybe Jesus is calling you to love others well with your time in college. Of course we're going to work hard. Like you came to WNL to do that. Of course you're going to have fun. God wants you to do that. But maybe being a follower of Jesus on campus means loving others well. Inviting a loner to sit with you and your friends in D Hall. Maybe King Jesus is calling you to invest in a friendship with someone who has nothing to offer you. No social status. They're not going to help your cool factor. To love on them like Jesus loves on you. I'd encourage each of you, after we're done here, stand up, find someone that you don't already know, and just learn their name. Like, this is a place where we can practice living in a different way than you do in the rest of your lives. I'd encourage you to do that after we finish here and you know, start mingling. We can do that kind of thing. We can be that kind of person because Jesus is our king and he humbled himself to be with us. And so we can do the same with others. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for your word. Um, I ask, Lord, that you would acquaint our hearts with you because uh, you've made yourself knowable. You've revealed yourself to us. And I ask, Lord, that we would know you and that we would find your humility beautiful and accessible and that you would move our hearts to claim you as our king and to love others as you have loved us. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.